on the marquee we have a sign that says thousands of people admire Christ but his friends follow him and that was a big long uh, title I wanted to shorten it because the focus is really this question I didn't want to put that on the marquee yet uh, because people go I have to explain what this is and so just a big question mark but the question today is before us is what is conversion it's a simple simple question but boy is it complex to answer and as we get into it I just wanted to say that we started last week with this word that I introduced and I'll introduce it again it's the word metanoia and so to, to help understand where this is going today there's two two categories are going to shift from there's a met there are two metanoias and we're going to run through the first one real quick and the second one's in the scriptures we're going to look at the metanoia which means meta means large beyond bigger meta theory meta language uh, metadata meta and then <clears throat> from the word noas noia it's the mind it's your thinking beyond your thinking beyond uh, something that's new that's been introduced it's bigger than where you are and so in the uh, Latin Vulgate, as we looked at last week, it was translated into English as repentance. And so we're going to open up this conversation today. But it's not just repentance as we may understand conversion. It has to do with the idea that there's a, there's a total shift that's not just behavioral moral it's a way of thinking it's a way of being in the world and so <clears throat> as we go through this the first section is going and we're going to go through this quickly because there's a lot here but I want you to understand the difference because when we're going to look at the difference between repentance and conversion and focusing particularly what what it is that God wants to do and that's where we're going to get to because last week I mentioned that there were four kinds of Christians remember that there was the successful Christian who seemed to have it all together and you ask him how it's going, he's always full of positive praise because he doesn't seem to struggle or she doesn't seem to struggle and there's a lot of people who look like they've got it together. And there are people who don't have any problems, who've got lots of things that are good, but they are successful. And there are people who look like they're successful, but they're not successful at all. They're the failing Christians who don't have it together and they know they don't have it together actually they're failing because their faith is like a, a weeping willow in a 90 mile an hour wind it's just all over the place and so it's hard for some people to read the Bible it's hard for some people to pray it's hard for some people to witness it's hard for some people to love people it, so if you're in that boat uh, you're in the right place because if you're struggling this is a good place and the, in between the successful Christian and the failing Christian there are those of us who are struggling in the Christian life trying to figure it all out like a 5,000 piece puzzle and you only got 40 pieces and so there's a lot of things missing and so where's the conference what book do I read where do I go what seminar do I and so people are struggling 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 to figure out how do I get rid of my sin how do I get this thing together well metanoia is this change and you know about this change and so I'm going to look at the first metanoia in a way that you'll understand it so let me ask you the question what year were self-serve gas stations introduced? Think about this. Hasn't been that long ago. It was about 50 years ago in, then in, in Colorado, Westminster, Colorado. They had a, a man who invented this machine to switch on the self-serve pump. 
and you can control it from the pump. And therefore, I didn't get this, did I? There it is. And so you had the full serve station and the self serve station, but 50 years ago, you drive in, you wouldn't hear this ding, 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 ding over the rubber hose. And uh, uh, you want me to check your oil? And can I check your, clean your headlights? And uh, it's all gone because it became self-service. It was 50 years ago. And therefore, as we shifted, uh, I hope this comes up give you this trouble today. And there's what it looked like 50 years ago. Well, now the question is, when did gas stations become sugar stations? They shifted the whole focus. That shift of focus is part of metanoia. And you see this begin, you see this again. When you remember, now I don't know if Chesterland never had these things. Never did. But you know, the taxi system has shifted. And so now it's no longer just a taxi, but you have this new competition. There's a shift in the way transportation and the public is done. And you know about this one. It used to be cash on the barrel head when you'd buy things. When do they start using checks? Well, history says way back in the first century they had these checks, but it wasn't automated until 1956 when they put the routing number and your account at the bottom. But you would use checks, but then how about credit cards? When did credit cards come in? It wasn't that long ago. 76, I think. Mm -mm. Uh, well, maybe they started. Uh, it, was, uh, it was the uh, America... Bank America card started, maybe it was in the 50s, but it grew, MasterCard came, uh, they became Visa and the MasterCard came later. But uh, the idea of paying by plastic and therefore you don't carry so much cash, and then came the pay by non-contact, I pay, you can do this digitally. It's gone the way, so things are shifting and you're getting used to these changes as part of your lifestyle. How about this shift? Remember this? You used to have letters or Christmas cards and people would write cursively. My son went to the bank and he signed his name. I said, what name? And he just scratched it off. I said, what is that? He says, that's my name. I said, you are destroying my family name. It just looked like, a, it looked like some bug looking for the ink pad in the middle of the night. Just crawl all over it. I don't know. I couldn't read it. But there are people who can't read. Cursive. People can't write cursive. Well, these things you're getting used to because things are shifting so much. Well, how about this one? Do you remember the old party line? Anybody here grew up with the party line? You saw that in the shows, but you get used to those rotary dialers, and then all of a sudden you have these smartphones, which I dropped mine three weeks ago and broke. Anyway, things are shifting by technology. So... Beyond the handwriting, you go to the typewriter, and from the typewriter, you go to the Trash 80. Anybody have a Trash 80? The Radio Shack, the first thing, the, the big old floppy disk you put in. Well, you mentioned that. It's kind of like eight-track tapes. They're gone. You know, people don't do that anymore. But you move to a computer, and then you move to the iPad, and you're getting used to all this technology. You're getting used to this new lifestyle, is what I'm talking about, because the world is going to have you learn new ways of communication, social media, so on and so forth. This is metanoia. It is shaping everything we do, and you're getting used to it. Now, here's one of my favorite questions I like to think. Who, is your, who do you think is the most important scientist, inventor, 
Thomas Edison was, of course. So a number of people could answer this, but here's my, my, my answer. He is one of the greatest men I think ever lived. You know who this guy is? Nobody knows? His name is Thomas Crapper. And Thomas Crapper shifted our thinking and he helped us by making a sanitized condition and he made this obsolete. Anybody here grew up with a two-seater? Don't raise your hand. I, I don't, or a three-seater. <laughs> don't go there, don't go there. But you get, you, you don't realize how the technology has shifted and so we get used to indoor plumbing unless you call whatever. But these plumbers, uh, when he was in London, he, he, he totally eradicated the disease because of the indoor plumbing uh, in Europe. It just major, major shift in our, in our health systems because of Thomas Crapper. Now, a number of people have said the major influence in American culture that has shifted our way of thinking about relationships, when you would walk down the street and go to the porches and visit people and uh, on a hot summer day, there's one thing that changed the way we think in America, and it was this. It was air conditioning. And so now everything has to be 72 degrees, indoor, outdoor, car. And so these things you're getting used to. Now you're smiling at this because it's really true. You just get used to and accommodate these changes. But we also get used to changing the ways we feel as we grow in our bodies from a baby, Max, to uh, older folks who the changes in the body, you just accommodate and get used to those aches and pains or whatever. But the shift from baby to getting old, you just kind of get used to it. Used to those extra pounds and hard to get rid of them. But, but those kids grew up in a school that's not the same. And so now when you have fights in school and the police are in school and drugs are in school, and you have, school's not the same. High school is not the same. Uh, it's not like when you and I were growing up. There's, and, and you're just getting used to this kind of uh, flattening of America as we grow up. So much so that this metanoia is we want everybody to combine as one. And therefore, there was this psychotherapist, this psychotherapist who was meeting with a Buddhist. And they thought, we just want to coexist and be together as one. We are the world. We are the children. Sorry. And, and they got together with the good intentions, but what happened was the psychotherapist and the gestalt says, you don't understand gestalt. And the Buddhist says, you don't understand Buddhism. So they ended up parting. And, but the idea I want you to hear is this, that there are shifts and changes and influences. We call it in the academic world, syncretism. When two ideas or more come together and you blend together and you try to uh, adapt and you work together and, and therefore you do this in business, it's called globalization. When you have KFC going over to China or the McDonaldization of the world and you begin to see the world become standardized in a postmodern world where what's, what's happening is there's an accommodation to these shifts. Now these accommodations in the scientific community is called a paradigm shift. There's a whole new way of thinking, and that's what I want you to understand, that business is no longer as usual. Business changes, and you're used to it because you've gone through a metanoia.
Now that's what the word means. It's not repentance. It means there's a shift of lifestyle of how I live my life in the world. And we do so in our day and age as a culture without God in this. We are living in a post-Christian, post-modern. Do you know there, do you know there are those who study these things? We are in the, not the post-modern world. We are in the post-post-modern world. People don't even know what the modern world was. So we don't know what we've lost. But here's the point. This shifting sand, this wind that's blowing around has caught up us, caught us up in the church. And therefore, Chesterland Baptist, this isn't Chesterland Baptist, neither is this. But because of Johnny Carson and those recessed lightings and the television and the marketing and the we as a church have shifted the way we do worship across this land. And now here's the question. If the winds are blowing such that the change is coming, how does that affect the way we think about our ethics and the way we think about our message, the way we think about our morals, the way we think about our God? And therefore, as we get into understanding these shifting winds that are blowing around us, make no mistake, you are in the middle of a metanoia shift. And you know this. Except there are things in the corner that's happening until you watch the news. You begin to realize that there are accommodations. Now, the Pope this week uh, recently put on this necklace. And you'll see this necklace is going to be misunderstood by the LBGTQPQRFG. Do you know there are 51, 51 identities for gender right now 51 gender fluidity is what it's called it's no longer binary sex now there's a non-binary sex it's it's a cra well here's this this is not rep representative of uh go back to this one this cross was not did I get it there I don't get it this idea that the, our values system in the church is not going to be affected by the rainbow winds because this is not a rainbow, this is not a, a, a gender-issued cross. This has to do with the Latin America. Green is Mexico, uh, yellow is Caribbean, uh, blue is the Andes, and, uh, and so it's a, it's a South American cross. But we'll be misunderstood in North America being the fact that we're gonna reinterpret things the way we wanna see things. This week, uh, there's a Methodist church in this county that's voting about homosexuality as clergy here in this county. And therefore, the church is under this influence. And so you have the messages, you have the messages, dear church, it's time, it's time. Everything is shifting. And here's my concern. In all this metanoia, in all of our language that's going on, we are losing things. We are losing things because we're accommodating, we're not really sure how to speak to it, but we're losing our focus, our sensitivity, we're losing our identity, we're losing our, our relevancy. And my concern, my primary concern, and I'm in good company, is we may be in danger of losing the gospel because we are translating it, accommodating it, making something that's so precious, so irrelevant for a lot of people in our world don't see the church and they're walking away from the church for a lot of reasons and therefore as Richard Neiber said we want a 
the, this is a quote from Niebuhr who says, in our world, where the world is saying, we want a God without wrath, who brought human beings without sin into a kingdom without judgment through ministrations of a Christ without a cross. We're gutting the gospel. And therefore, when you have this message being so minimized and relativized, it affects you. Because how do you connect with people who are rubbing shoulders that says, it's not about what you believe. The, the research that came out of Ligonier Ministries this week talked about the changes in our thinking about theology. And sin and the Bible and Christ, what people used to think has now shifted and it's gone away. When I went to Japan, the average Christian knew seven verses with verses memorized and referenced. Now they only know three. And the first one is, do not judge. It used to be John 3:16 painted on those cheeks. And therefore, we have a problem in our culture. And the problem is that North American Christians are trained to believe, trained to believe, conditioned, that they are capable of reading the Bible without spiritual and moral transformation. That's amazing. And therefore, if you if you understand this metanoia is taking place from the world, then you hear people in churches who are saying, a person can profess to be a Christian and still live under the impression that they don't need to actually follow Jesus. Really? Well, yeah, because Jesus is when you die, then you go to heaven. That's when it's all about. So you can party as long as you want, do sin as long as you want, until you die, and then you go to heaven. Some people think that. Being a follower... It's an optional. It's an option. It's an add-on. It's not a requirement. It's a choice that you do. If that's your lifestyle, you want to do it, that's fine. If you don't do it, that's fine. But it's not a demand. And so there's a minimization of the Christian. Therefore, being a Christian today has no connection with the biblical calling and the idea that we are uh, being formed into the very image through this friend we call Jesus Christ. And therefore, Paul, Paul is very clear to the Ephesians way back 2,000 years ago. He says, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. It's a command. It's an imperative. It's a very strong. You cannot not do this. He says that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their metanoia and their thinking. And the idea that if you follow the world's change, you are going to lose your life entirely. And therefore, we live in, in this world of two extremes, the law, the rules, and lawlessness, the freedom from rules. And now we're caught. This is the world we live in. But Paul says, I insist on it. A lot of words, I implore you. That's a very strong word. Pay attention to this, he says, because you cannot accommodate to the world and call yourself a Christian. So he's very clear. I mentioned there were three Christians. There's a fourth Christian we're going to look at, and this is the metanoia of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God comes into the child of God, he makes that child of God by the Word of God into a man or a woman of God, and therefore there's a shifting change that takes place inside each of us if we are 
born again, if we are in the kingdom, if we are baptized into Christ. And therefore, there is a real spiritual metanoia to see things as God sees things. And therefore, as we step into the presence of God, we step in humbly, knowing that we are called and enjoyed because we can be forgiven and are forgiven and are made alive in Christ. But Paul says, why would you even think about all these things? He says, because I called you. Why would God want you? Why would God call you? Not to prove to the world or to change the world or to, to establish morality or to teach you philosophy. No, 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 no. It's not about religion. It's about this personal relationship. And therefore, the metanoia of the Spirit is fundamentally anchored in the gospel so that you understand this relationship you have with one who's called Abba. Abba. Not an Old Testament word, and it's not a system of doctrine or theology, but when Christ came and he introduced the word Abba, he was saying to us, what you believe about God is not what I am interested in. I want you to know the God I believe in, the God I see face to face. Because knowing Father, knowing Abba, you are included in the special relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a metanoia where you understand what God thinks about you. And therefore, as the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling because he's calling you. He's calling you. And therefore, Paul said, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy. This is the worthy calling, the fact that he wants us and he's called us into his kingdom and into his glory. I mentioned at Frida's funeral something that just it st it stayed with me will always stay with me that as the lichens were going through that, that loss and still are that idea that they were baptized into grief they lost a loved one a long loved loved one and therefore their ache is real they were baptized into grief but, but Frida was baptized into beauty baptized into grace and the wonderful, oh, how wonderful we sing. That, that sense of, he really does want me. He really does love me. He really does call. He, you really think that? But I, and so that shifting of what's going on in the human soul is what the spiritual metanoia is all about. And therefore, as, as we think about this metanoia, it is not just an optional thing because Jesus said, if you don't understand this conversion, this repentance, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. And so I say to you, unless you are converted, and there's the word, unless you turn and become like children, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Now, make sure you understand, he was talking to his disciples, grown men, adult men, who said, you have to become like children. He didn't mean that children were innocent. He just meant that children weren't childlike or childish. He meant that children were dependent. Children were open to explore. Children were open to trust. Children would take the father by the hand. And they were trusting because they needed to. They needed someone to take them by the hand. 
So Jesus was saying to them, not that children are innocent, you've got to become innocent. He said, no, no, no. You have to relearn, like children have to relearn uh, what God is like. Not what you think he's like, not what the world says he's like, but who he says he is like. And therefore, and here's the point. The words plainly imply that before you or I can have any well-grounded scriptural hope, any assurance in a future state that when I die, my life is over, I will be with Christ. If that is to take place, there must be some great, some notable and specific changes, a metanoia that take place upon our souls. And therefore, the questions as we raise these up, as Paul said to the Ephesians, I want you to be grounded in Christ so that you know who you believe. And you know him well. That you know the grace, you know the blessings, you know the calling, the adoption, the forgiveness, the baptism. All we want, Ephesians 1 through 3, know these things, now walk with him. But walking with him leads us to some questions in our day and age. And here's the questions for you. Can you believe and not repent? Hmm. Can you repent and not be converted? Hmm. Can you be converted and not repent? Hmm. Can you be saved and not follow Christ? If you listen to the world, you'll get a different answer. If you listen to the Spirit, you'll get a different answer. So it's a question that you... I don't know if you've raised this, but I want you to hear this difference. The conversion and repentance, uh, what do you understand about them? Are, are they the same thing? What do you think? Are they the same thing? Well, I'm not a theologian. <laughs> I like this. I'm not a theologian. Well, what's a theologian? I don't know what those guys are. But the idea that all of us are theologians, all of us have some concept of God. But are they the same thing? And the answer is no, they're not the same thing. Repentance means to turn. It's used so many times, over 600 times in the Old Testament. It just means to turn. And, and there's a metanoia, there's a turning. There's a lot of turning that's going on. But conversion is what happens when you turn. Snoop Dogg turned to Islam. Uh, Madonna turned to the Jewish Kabbalah, the mystical Jewish system. You can turn, but conversion is what happens when you turn. But be aware, because all turning doesn't mean conversion. You will be converted, but it's not about converting or turning, it's about what you're turning to. And so Jesus would warn the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert and when you've succeeded, you made them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Not all conversions are good. Not all turning is good. Not all turning is of the Spirit. Because a lot of people get involved with religion, in different religions. But Jesus would say to them, when they pass and they go into heaven, depart from me. Depart from me. The scariest words in the Bible. Because he would say, I never knew you. Well, Christian, be aware. Be alert. Be wise. Because God is doing something. And biblical repentance means that 
the change that he brings and the one that we seek, seek is a mindset and a kingdom lifestyle that seeks to please God. Repentance is a turning to God and that's our choice. We do that. The Spirit of God will not turn for us. But we make the choice to lead, uh, to, be, to follow Christ and he won't make anyone repent and he won't convert anyone without someone responding. But now we go back to the conversion. What is conversion? Again, it's this requirement. And to be converted, it means that you're going to turn with a variety of understandings, but different people coming from different backgrounds. Uh, conversion, you may have different images of, of people, in, in, like in the Philippines, they think that conversion means that I've got to suffer. I've got to feel bad for my sin. I've got to have an experience where I get into a, 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 a self-berating and putting myself down in a humiliation. But the word in Hebrew simply means to return. It's not about an emotional or psychological experience. It means you turn back like the prodigal son, Shoab, 391 times turn or to turn to or to turn back and so what Paul is saying is don't turn to the Gentiles but you want to turn away from the Gentiles because they are without understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of the heart do not follow the world or what somebody says that's not anchored in the word of Christ and therefore be aware that the metanoia of the spirit is radically different than, than the metanoia of the world. Now there are three words here that are used. And real briefly, this is to make sure you guys know I know a little Greek. He cooks pizza over down there. And, uh, the three Greek words I want you to know, I see that smile, is the word to send or put off. It says put off the old man. The idea is apost apostatai. And that's the same word where we get the word apostle or to send, to send, to put away, to send away. It's what Herod did with John the Baptist. Go lock him up. Put him out of the sight. I don't want to be with him. You put off the old man, it says. And the second word is the anesthetai, to be made new. Because when you come to Christ, you bring a whole lot of junk with you. And therefore, the learning that we have to do, that metanoia of the Spirit, is to learn how to change according to the Spirit's prompting and renewing us. And the third one is the industai, is to put on the new self. Industai comes from the enthus, entheos. It's where we get the word enthusiasm. God gives you the energy. If you are renewed in the Spirit, you're going to think different because he's going to teach you different things. To put off the imperative, you lay aside. The unregenerate man is laid aside. And therefore, the truly fresh, fleshly creature is laid aside. The anger issues, the depression issues, the cynical issues, the unforgiving abilities that we hold on to because we want to punish or hurt or whatever, all those are laid aside. And you'll see this coming up in the next chapter. Put off. Put off. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted 
The old man is still the old man. The still old man will still respond like an old man. And so when temptation comes to the door, don't send the old man to, to answer it. Because the old man will answer it. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Therefore, as new creatures, we fix our eyes on Christ. And we who are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, we lay aside, we throw aside, we throw off everything that encumbers and hinders and is an obstacle. It entangles us. That's the word you put off. That change means then we are being made new. Where we are renewed up, changed up, continually renewed to be made young again. This is a fresh spirit. This is the wind of Christ. But that's what you allow to happen to you. And you are uh, realize it's in the present tense. And therefore we put to death the things of the flesh. But we made our life in the spirit. So we kill. We destroy. We put off. And there's a real progress of growth. When we say no to sin. And yes to Christ. We may be genuinely new. But we're not totally new. So to sum up. Conversion means that we repent and turn to Christ, but in the conversion, the Spirit of God turns to us. And he helps us put off the old man, and he regenerates a new heart. He regenerates a new spirit. He writes the laws inside, and therefore we become new people, a new nation, a new people, a church, a kingdom of God who are progressively being renewed. And last week I said salvation is a restored relationship. Sanctification is improved relationship. And heaven is perfected relationship. So as we are told to put on the new self, it means there's a new passion. A passion for the Lord. A passion to love Him. A passion to serve Him. A passion to have Him come and touch you in such a way that you walk in grace that you walk in hope that you walk in love conversion means a believer is no longer a combination of the old and the unregenerate man and the new regenerate man conversion means you are now born again conversion means you have a whole new life and therefore there's going to be a lot of questions with this but once you become a believer and you've been converted to Christ. Paul said if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. And the old things pass away. New selves being renewed. Well. Conversion then. Introduces us into that metanoia of the spirit. Where Christ comes in. In a vital. And a conscious fellowship. Where I. Experience and enjoy. The love of Christ. I know what he thinks about me. And I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him against that day. In, uh, in, 19, in 1738, John Wesley attended a prayer meeting. And at that prayer meeting, it was just the book of Romans that was opened up and read. Uh, Paul's Romans chapter 1 was read. And there he felt warmly stirred, it says, that I would trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sin.
That's what you have as a believer. The assurance that the Spirit of God will guide you, speak to you, teach you, help you grow. And that's yours. Let no worldly metanoia steal that and guard the gospel because we put on Christ. And therefore, that's happening when we as believers take this good news out to change the world. And therefore, did you know that Charles Darwin, before he died, converted to Christ? Did you hear that? He said, I was a young man with uninformed ideas, and I threw out my questions and suggestions, and to my astonishment, they took like wildfire, and the world embraced him. To my astonishment, they grew. Later, he suggested to a Christian friend that she speak to the servants and, and tenants and the neighbors at his house when he was dying. He said, what shall I speak? He says, talk to them about Christ. Even people you think are unbelievers, God is seeking them to come and to be converted to him. That's our job. To one, to let God work in us so that two, we can go and see God work in others. That's what conversion is. And there's more to this story. We'll continue next week. But what does it mean to put on Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian and grow deeply as Paul was teaching the Ephesians? We'll look at that next week when we look at, <clears throat> when we look at what does it look like to have the metanoia of the Spirit here in CBC. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot here. There's more that we need to know. But for now, this is enough. I pray that you would take these seeds and you take, have them take root in, that, in the inner man that the Spirit of God, that metanoia that he brings, that we would get used to grace, that we would learn how to forgive as a lifestyle, and that we would walk as kingdom kids because you said the old things pass away. Lord, bring on the new things that we might know you and tell others about you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.